0: Today on the Zavecast, you want dedication, people? I'm in my room right now, and everyone else in Atlanta is out there partying it up. The king speaks today and, as usual, says nothing. Sean Payton disses him from afar. The absurd hypocrisy of Twitter, Tony Romo, Robot Golf, and Bonnie Bernstein made out like a bandit. All that and more in a bonus hour of me. Buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Thursday, January thirty first, two thousand nineteen. Thank you for downloading and you are looking live at my hotel room yet again. Although tonight I am actually stone cold sober. You're welcome. Got a little bit of feedback from yesterday's podcast. Not my best, I admitted that much in the title. Actually some people said they kinda liked it. A couple other people said, Boo. Boo Ben Canop. Bad effort. Today's show should be a bit better. Today's big news at the Super Bowl was the commissioner spoke. Normally, he like in years past, the the commissioner's presser is on Friday. They've moved it up in the past couple of years, and I can't remember when they did this, to Wednesday. And I guess that makes sense to some degree. He did take questions from supposedly all comers. Uh, I don't know how you got in line if you were at the press conference to ask a question. I think I probably could have gotten a question off to him if I'd been there in person and gotten in line. Maybe. We'll see. Don't know how much they handpick or screen the questions to make sure they're not too inflammatory. But Goodell was typical Goodell, which is a weaselly, corporate, and weak-looking figure atop the NFL who makes $43 million a year. I think my thing with Goodell... And this goes beyond any of the idiotic shit that he has pulled since taking over. My biggest thing with Goodell, believe it or not, he's a horrible public speaker. I mean, he is weak. His voice trembles. He sounds like a little timid mouse. And then you combine that with his corporate doublespeak and his inability just to be honest and frank and boom, here's how it is. It's infuriating. I have no respect for it whatsoever. That said, I think people that wanted him to admit that the, you know, the NFL or the referees blew the call in the Saints game were dreaming. The NFL is not going to do that. They're never going to do that, and frankly, they shouldn't do that. Somebody even asked if this year's Super Bowl is tainted, and he said, "Oh, no, no, we're we're very proud to have the Rams and the Saints here, and we're looking forward to a great game. Yeah. A simple no would have would have sufficed. A confident no, of course not. Dismiss that question. Slap that question away the, with the back of your hand if you're really a $43 million corporate badass. Tainted no. Why? Calls happen. Some are made. Some are missed. So be it. Of course, they'll never admit they missed the call. One thing I noticed, I'm not sure if you did as well, the NFL has carefully worded, and Goodell in particular, about that play in question. He has said, that's a call we'd like our officials to make. That's how they phrase it. Notice they didn't say they blew the call. Notice they didn't say the call was incorrect. Notice they didn't say we're sorry that call didn't get made. There's no sorry. And there's no blow the call or incorrect, and there certainly isn't that W word that Arthur Fonzarelli had so much trouble with back in the day. On happy days, I was r- 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 wrong. They're not going to say wrong. They're going to use a very crafty phrase of, "That's a call we'd like our officials to make," but they didn't make it. And then the other hargle bargle about. This that the other international games minority coaches uh, perception of musical acts that don't want to play the Super Bowl and on and on and on boilerplate stuff you knew Goodell was not going to give you anything to chew on and he was going to not he was going to sound like a little meek kind of guy somebody said they wish they had put a giant desk up on the stage for him to stand under sit under to give his presser. The other news of the day was in New Orleans, where oh, look at this! What timing! Sean Payton decided to give his final year-end press conference on the very day Goodell was going to speak at the Super Bowl. What a coincidence! Normally, Payton would have had it on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week, but no, no, he just he couldn't bring himself to bear standing there and answering more questions about this heartbreaking game that they lost. What a bitch. Seriously? I like the Saints in general. I still like Drew Brees. I love the color scheme. The gold and the black is beautiful. I I appreciate the fandom down there in New Orleans, but for fuck's sake, Sean Payton, you've lost me. I'm sorry. Did I say the F-word? Okay. I'm trying to cut down as per a recommendation and a a plea from one of our listeners. Sean Payton, you have lost me forever with all of this drama, saying I stayed in my room and watched Netflix and ate ice cream for a week almost after the call. What are you, a, a teenage girl? This is why my respect for Belichick keeps going up, because Belichick is onto the combine. Belichick, in this case, would be on to the draft. Belichick would be on to who can we cut? to fix our salary cap a bit more. Belichick would be on to, you know what, we've got to be better. Sean Payton, I was locked up and eating ice cream and watching Netflix enough already. But the real thing with Sean Payton was that he wore a Goodell clown nose, turquoise, barstool issued t-shirt. A item I have, somebody bought one for me and I appreciate it, I'd... It's in my closet somewhere. I don't wear it very often, I should. You know me, I only wear life is good t-shirts. They can make every t-shirt as soft as loose and as just a little bit stretchy like those, my goodness. Anyway, Sean Payton clearly wore one of those underneath his quarter zip overshirt or windbreaker or whatever, quarter zip pullover. This again is a bitch move. Everybody quickly saw the turquoise undershirt. They quickly saw the pattern of the top of Goodell's head and quickly photo-matched it exactly to the T-shirt. I would have more respect for him if he didn't wear the quarter zip, if he just wore the T-shirt and blasted the commissioner. But he doesn't want to get fined. He doesn't want to get suspended. So uh, this is my subtle way of giving the commissioner, the finger. It reminds me when Lindsay Lohan was in jail, or not in jail, she was in court, dragged into court again for the umpteenth million time, and she had on her fingernails painted letters that say, fuck you, on them. Oh, that's two. I'm very sorry. I'm cutting down. But this is an actual reference. It had F-U right on her fingernails. And, you know, photographers in the court with their high-resolution cameras, they quickly picked up on it. And it's like, oh, yeah, you really showed them. Teenage high school move, Sean Payton, to wear that shirt. If you're going to wear the shirt, wear it boldly. Wear it like Matt Patricia getting off the team plane for the Patriots after they won the Super Bowl. Or just don't wear it at all. was not a fan of that. Speaking of T-shirts, went to the NFL shop at the NFL Experience here in the convention center in Atlanta. By the way, this uh, World Congress Center, this Georgia World Congress Center in Atlanta, I've been to plenty of places with massive convention a- convention centers. I don't think I've seen any place like this. It's unbelievable. It's like four stories, and the hall that they use for the NFL Experience is so big, and it's one continuous space. I'm sure they can partition it off depending on whatever needs they have, but in this case, they just had everything all on one floor, massive. People ask me, is the NFL experience worth it? Well, I'm not sure what they charge. I think it's at least $20 a pop, maybe more. It looks like an auto show, it's very spaced out. There are some activities where you can run a little obstacle course. You can catch a pass. You can try to kick a field goal. No, I did not try to kick a field goal. First of all, the line was insanely long, probably a 35 to 40-minute line. And I could have maybe cut in front of everybody with my media pass, but then I'm thinking, I'm going to go out there and try to wallop that ball. i going to pull a hamstring, pull a groin. G- g- Injury, I said, no, I'm going to pass on that. They've got a decent number of activities, and they've got a decent number of things on display, but it's really not a lot. It's a lot of people crammed in to a huge space, and you're dodging people with strollers and kids, and it just seems like a... And, of course, they've got a lot of food courts where, oh, look... Here's a place to buy a $7 pretzel and to sit your kids down who are tired of waiting in line. And then they have the corporate branded areas, such as the sleep number experience. I didn't even go into the sleep sleep number bed experience, but I just looked at it and I laughed. I was like, yeah, it's like Mayor Quimby once said, ERA, we have major corporations sponsoring this event. I know, yay, capitalism, right? So we went into, Scott and I went into the pro shop or the NFL souvenir shop for the Super Bowl, the big one supposedly at the NFL experience. And I just, again, was disappointed looking at that stupid logo, the the L triple I, which is terrible. And I didn't really buy anything except for one thing. I bought one item, which I'm sure Redskin fans are going to blast me for, but fine, whatever. I bought a jersey, a jersey. you know, T-shirt, jersey, and it's of Julian Edelman. Yeah, I know, Patriots. Oh, my God. What are you, a mass hole now, Zabe? The Patriots, really? It's an Edelman jersey. It's not a Patriot jersey. Number one, I love the number 11. And so that's first and foremost. Number two, I do love Edelman. He's my favorite overachieving short little white wide receiver. I mean, I'm not trying to be racist here, but, you know, my people, we struggle in certain areas in athletics and at certain positions in sports. This dude has been one of the great little little tiny zip zap, but tough as nails wide receiver. No, not a Hall of Famer. I said earlier in a, Zabe cast. I thought he was a Hall of Famer. I looked at his numbers more. I'm like, the numbers aren't there. Postseason, though, man, he is clutch. And he is strictly a short to intermediate guy, but son of a gun. I love Edelman. So I figured here's a t shirt. It's got the number 11 on it in little rubberized, raised lettering. It's like a jersey, but it's a t shirt, so it's a lot less than an actual jersey. $40. (laughs) I know such a ripoff it's not even that quality of a t-shirt 40 freaking bucks but still got it because it had the logo I hate the Super Bowl logo I hate 53 on it and it is of Edelman and I figured when am I gonna get this again I just wanted to get something other stuff was insane they had this uh, they had like this new age fabric hoodie it was a short sleeve hoodie. Yeah, just go with me on this. It's a short-sleeve hoodie that had Todd Gurley's number 30 on the front for the Rams and the Super Bowl logo. And it was $250. And it was this intri- – I looked at it because like, this is a cool sort of fabric. It was high-tech. It wasn't cloth, and it looked lightweight but still kind of warm. I'm like, this is cool. This is different. I believe the players wore them at one of the media appearances this week. Looked at the tag, $250. As our program director, CJ, said dismissively, he goes, that's the price of a brand new suit and a pretty good one. Yes, at Joseph A. Bank, you might get that and another suit on top of it. So another Super Bowl tradition has fallen thanks to the fact that everything now must be political or politicized or involve race or controversy or have some sort of social justice agenda. It's not a huge tradition, 99% of the people in the world don't give a shit about it, but Maroon 5 announced today that they are not going to be holding the annual halftime artist press conference at the Super Bowl during media week. Big deal, right? Like, who cares? I understand that. Only this was kind of something I look forward to every year, because you got to be close to and see, uh, you know, real life pop and music superstars in a press conference setting, at least it did for me, and they've had some pretty big acts over the years, The Who and Madonna, I believe, uh, and others, and you're like, okay, cool, you get to talk to these musicians, these big pop stars, and ask them silly questions about how much do you know about football, and they usually say nothing or not much, and go from there. Innocent, harmless, help promote the halftime act. Well, Maroon 5 is not doing it this year because of the Colin Kaepernick controversy where a number of black artists have said, I won't play the Super Bowl, no way, not for that racist NFL that has blackballed Colin Kaepernick. Great. Maroon 5, and I think the NFL knew, this press conference was going to be a shit show. It was going to be question after question after question about how can you support playing, almost like the NFL is the new Sun City. You remember the Not Gonna Play Sun City, uh, a resort town in South Africa during the height of the apartheid years, and artists would say, I'm not playing down there because I don't support apartheid. They even, someone did a song, Not Gonna Play Sun City. Uh, It might have been a collaborative effort as well. Either way, it just, it just is so annoying that another little thing, eh. Super Bowl? Alright, well we can't have press conferences with the with the musical act because they're gonna get harangued by people talking about it. And there's gonna be stories that are that use the cancellation of the press conference as an entree to say, well, here's why. And then they'll write about the whole Kaepernick controversy and other artists supporting Kaepernick by saying, I will not play the Super Bowl. A number of musicians and artists came out and said, I'm not going to play this Super Bowl. And you look at me like, well, you're nobody. (laughs) Who was going to ask you anyway? So I, for one, in solidarity with Kaepernick, I will not play the Super Bowl. Me and my garage band, the Zabin Five, we will not play until Kaepernick not only has a job in the NFL, but a starting job at that, because that would be the right thing to do. See how woke And wonderful I am. So I recently got an email from somebody saying, Dude, it is time to get off of Twitter for good. The reason was, apparently now, if you tweet at a fired journalist, learn to code, that's considered targeted harassment, and your Twitter account is subject to termination. It all stems from a Donald Trump tweet after BuzzFeed and I believe another news outlet announced massive layouts, massive layoffs. And Trump, of course, spiked the football, especially because BuzzFeed has been his nemesis and, to be fair, has published several stories that they have had to retract or turned out to be just not true. So, of course, Trump is going to spike the football. And that then prompted some journalists to clutch their pearls and say, I can't believe a president. These are journalists with families to feed and rent to pay. And, you know, here's the world's tiniest violin playing the world's saddest song. As if there aren't other industries and other jobs that are experiencing turmoil. Or people lose their jobs every day. And people have bills to pay and families to feed and the rent to meet. But journalists, oh God, can't can't criticize them. So a number of people on Twitter remembered when there was a debate over what's going to happen to all these coal factories that President Obama's legislation or regulations were going to shut down. You know, what what about all the people that make a living in the coal industry? And a number of stories and a number of journalists and a number of the so-called East Coast media elite said well they can learn to code you know do something that's like the modern day digital age coal mining learn to code write software code so now you can apparently <laughs> apparently you can get notified by twitter you're engaging in targeted abuse if you actually direct at a fired journalist hey learn to code good fucking grief before I get to the larger Twitter point and whether or not I should get out or – let me just – I'm not getting off of Twitter. I, I thought about it. I, I really did. I was like, you know, I, I would love to. But I can't for a number of reasons, or at least I shouldn't for a number of reasons. But back to learning to code, you know, what's funny is that Church's wife actually did learn to code. He told me about this. I hope I'm not speaking out of school here. Uh but but Church's lovely wife, uh, Roxy, decided that she wanted a career change, and so she investigated, you know, learning how to code, and went through the course on how to do it. It was a, a intensive eight week, ten week course, whatever. Not easy, but she did it. Got through, got her certificate, whatever coding certificate, and then sat and waited to get hired, and waited, and waited and waited some more, and then never got hired. Then she decided, you know, I'm going to go back to my old career, and this was a nice try. It's not like she couldn't code. It's just that every industry sometimes has a glut of certain jobs or job applicants, and I guess it didn't fit uh, you know, her experience and or her age or her salary needs didn't fit, I guess, what was uh, needed in the market at the time anyway back to Twitter so it is crazy that you could have your account flagged and possibly suspended if you just talk a little shit and spike the football to journalists who are dismissive of coal miners and their financial situation by going haha you got laid off from BuzzFeed huh we'll learn to code Yes, learn to write algorithms that will then aggregate other people's so-called news stories that are really written from some kid's basement somewhere. There you go. It is stupid. I do hate Twitter. I can't quit it, though. Uh, It is a useful tool. I need to use it less. I need to look at it less. That's for damn sure. I already know of the danger of Twitter... And I'm doing a pretty good job at keeping myself out of trouble with certain things I may tweet or retweet or like. I mean, a single word that goes the wrong way can really cause a lot of mayhem. But I, I do look at it too much. I got in from you know the airport on Tuesday night down here in Atlanta, and I was pretty tired. But I plop into my hotel room, and I plop onto my bed, and I just sit there. With my phone, and I just start thumb, swipe, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll. I I must have scrolled through Twitter for close to an hour. It was insanity. If you were to actually measure in terms of physical distance that I scrolled on Twitter, it would have been around the block and back. It's stupid. And, of course, I could have gotten up. A lot of better uses for my time. I could have gotten up right away and put my stuff away and gotten ready to go to bed proper or read a book uh, on my Kindle, which I have. And I have books on a Kindle. I could have read that. A ton of things. I just, like everybody, get addicted to the low-hanging fruit, the cheap junk food of digital information. I belong to The uh, Athletic, or I subscribe to The Athletic, which is a subscription sports website. They have made a lot of waves with their venture capital funding. They've uh, amassed a, a decent amount of money to go hire credible writers, credible journalists, and to open up shops in major cities. We have a D.C. outlet, which is headed by former Washington Post writer and TNT basketball reporter David Aldridge. And they do good work, The Athletic. And I I don't know how much it is a month. I'd have to check my credit card bill. Five, six, seven, eight bucks a month. I don't read The Athletic as much as I should. I did just download their app, which is very handy because it's just there's no ads, no pop-ups, none of the junk, and it's all quality stuff. But it's not the short attention span material that Twitter is. Quick pop, quick pop, quick pop, quick pop. And like everybody, my attention span is being eroded by today's digital media. So I started reading The Athletic more, and I, I like it. I'm going to try to continue to read it more because I consider it to be sort of like eating healthy from a digital information standpoint. But I can't quit Twitter because it's still too useful to at least disseminate links and to promote the website and to promote the Zabe cast, and yes at times to stay in touch with what's happening but I just need to use it less. And of course I'm very careful about what I do and do not tweet because it's easy to get out of hand. And the double standards uh, for certain people depending on your not only employer but also your your known and stated political beliefs is insane. For example Remember the Covington Catholic incident with the MAGA hats on the mall? Yeah, that was like a week ago. You're just getting to that? Actually, I think it was more than a week ago, but I laid off of it specifically because it was going to do me no good to jump in on Twitter. But there was always that little impulse right away. It didn't stop, though, a number of fairly high-profile sports people that I follow to jump in And weigh in on the situation when nobody knew what actually had happened. They just took their cues from this short little video clip with the guy with Nathan Phillips banging the drum. Uh, Are you are you mocking him? I'm not mocking him. I am providing a impression of his performance. So a lot of people weighed in. Nobody knew what the fuck happened. And in the end, oh, by the way, you know what happened? Nothing happened. An old kook with a drum banged it in the face of a teenage kid from Kentucky wearing a MAGA hat who smiled. That's it. And everyone dispersed, and that was it. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got arrested. Nothing. And yet it was the number one story in the country for about three or four days, which brings up a larger point about Twitter being an assignment editor of sorts. I heard this mentioned that now, unfortunately, Twitter is an assignment editor for newsrooms at major news outlets and major newspapers like the Washington Post and the New York Times, where, oh my God, something's trending on Twitter. Let's go cover that story. When traditional news judgment would have said, okay, what's the story here? A kid in a MAGA hat smirked or smiled or whatever at an old man banging a drum and then what happened who what where when how why and also the largest significance all the questions you're supposed to ask as a journalist in terms of is this important it would have ended up if you were using proper news judgment you would have said there's no story here yeah but look these are white kids and they're wearing MAGA hats and they got in the face and surrounded this guy well did they really how do we know What's the full context? And even if they did, what's the real story here? Nothing happened. An old man banged a drum, a kid smiled, everybody went home. That's not news. It's not news in 2019. It's not news in 1979. It's not news. Nothing happened. And it shouldn't be news that grips the country, but, oh, Twitter. Twitter's covering it. People are jumping in. Rich Eisen. Tweeted the following, share far and wide. Thank you, Nathan Phillips, for who you are, what you stand for, and for your Vietnam service. You are loved, respected, and appreciated. (laughs) First of all, Nathan Phillips is just a cranky old activist, who, by the way, led a group to go disrupt Catholic mass later on that day in D.C., Nice. Wonder if, uh, wonder if journalists would be so supportive if a guy, not a Native American, went to go disrupt perhaps a uh, Islamic prayer service at a mosque? Mm? Mm, nah, probably not. For what you stand for in your Vietnam service. Well, it turns out that Nathan Phillips never served in Vietnam, and there was some dispute as to whether or not he actually said he did or just sort of fudged it like I'm from the Vietnam times turns out he was pretty much a deadbeat private in the army who got discharged not quite dishonorably but discharged with apparently the lowest rank you could get discharged with went AWOL several times and was a refrigerator repair guy in the in the army okay great You are loved, respected, and appreciated. This is Rich Eisen purely peacocking. This is all about Rich Eisen's vanity. With little to know about what the whole situation was, I don't think Rich Eisen issued a correction or a backtrack on that. Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports, who I like and respect, was pretty forceful coming out against this and then backtracked saying, you know what, I should have waited to hear more of the situation. Will Leach, who I follow, founder of Deadspin, now works for Major League Baseball, contributing editor to New York Magazine, does the Will Leach show on Sports Illustrated's media channel or video channel, whatever that is. Uh, He tweeted out much more inflammatory stuff, saying, this kid has a punchable face. I'd like to punch it myself. If I had said on Twitter, to perhaps anybody who's not a white kid wearing a MAGA hat, if I said, this cocky, insert minority group here, asswipe, really needs his ass kicked, I wish I could do it myself. Curtains. Will H. is still employed. I don't think he has suffered any consequences whatsoever for basically saying, "Let I'd love to commit a violent act against this kid just because he smirked. And I'm not sure he really backtracked. Where's Major League Baseball to go, we can't have this? In, in in another world in which Will Leach is not a guy who has known liberal credentials, and if it wasn't a white kid that he was saying this to, done, finished. I'll never forget when Michigan State lost to Michigan. Or no, Michigan lost to Michigan State, and the punter for Michigan was that Aussie guy uh, who was also a part-time model, dreamy, dreamy McPunter. And he fucked up on a punt that was just trying to ice out the game, dropped it, fumble. Michigan State scored. And afterwards, I tweeted about that punter. I said, Tah, you should just quit now. Basically, just quit the team. I didn't suggest he should throw himself into a river. I didn't suggest he should kill himself. No, I just said, you should just walk out of the football program and quit now while you're ahead. Oh, man, Twitter swung into action. Apparently a group, uh, th- there was there was a fan base, that this punter had transferred from Weber State in Utah. And so a number of fans saw my tweet because I have a certain platform, and they didn't like me piling on this poor kid at a moment of his greatest fuck-up. And because they really like this kid at Weber State, they get the boat rocking back and forth. And they start tweeting and retweeting. And they start, one guy said, because you know, on my Twitter bio, it shows all of my different jobs. Which maybe is a mistake, because it's almost like a target for the high and mighty on Twitter to go, go get this guy. Somebody tweeted, hopefully th- this guy has three jobs, that's an outrage. Hopefully he'll, ha- he'll have zero come Monday. Oh, for fuck's sake, Really? but it continued and so this 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 little tiny little you know hubbub on twitter bubbled up and they started calling as a group and it might have only been 10 or 12 if that people calling physically calling the yahoo phone number at i guess their news desk in LA to complain about this and so i get a call from somebody at the radio network, because at the time we were Yahoo Sports Radio. And they said to me, they go, look, Yahoo themselves, Yahoo Sports, are getting a lot of calls about this. Could you just, just delete that tweet or something like that? And I think I did end up deleting it. It might, might be the only tweet I've ever deleted. I didn't like doing it, but I did it because I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. Even worse was that I was mentally fucked up for the next 24 to 48 hours. And I think it was a Thanksgiving weekend, and all I could think about was, this is crazy. I I can't enjoy my family and and Thanksgiving now because I'm worried about, is my employer going to panic and go, oh, my God, he criticized a punter on Twitter. Now we've got to fire him. Will Leach, still employed by Major League Baseball, Still employed by New York Magazine. Still employed by Sports Illustrated for the Will Lead Show. I still follow him just because, you know, what is unfollowing going to do? I mean, he actually has some interesting things. I just follow people that I can use for my own show and podcast. I don't really get into the whole I'm not following him because I don't believe in his political viewpoints. It's only when people I know have different viewpoints than me that won't shut the fuck up about it on their Twitter feed, I'll have to then unfollow. And then I'll get back on after a while and see. I'm like, okay, how's it going? Like, Drew McGarry is, is that type of guy. Drew will just wear me out with his anti-Trump shit. But he's funny, though. and And he's funny about other things in sports. And so, either way, the double standard in Twitter is insane. The roving gang mentality is insane. The fact that major news outlets treat Twitter as a de facto assignment editor. Well, this is, you should go cover this. It's being talked about on Twitter. That's insane. I'd love to quit it, but I don't think I can. There's a great Phil Mushnick column on Tony Romo, New York Post. This was from a couple of days ago. I talked about it on my local show. I'll talk about it here. Mushnick basically asks the question, so is Tony Romo, and how good he is at analyzing plays and, and predicting what will happen ahead of time, is Tony Romo the TV analyst, is that has he been delivered to us on purpose by networks saying we've got to do something better, we've got to do something different with these ex-jocks in the booth, or is he just a happy accident, a case in which we the viewers got lucky for once? on an analyst who could actually explain the game to us. Mushnik points out that Romo is willing to be wrong by guessing on what's going to happen on certain plays or predicting such because he understands, does Romo, that that's where his most value is as an analyst. Here, watch this. Tight end. Here, watch for the linebackers. Here, I think they're going to run a draw play. Whatever. Other analysts, Mushnik points out, will not only not risk being wrong by predicting ahead of time that if they are wrong about something, they'll just ignore it once video replay shows, oh yeah, you were wrong, the ball was touched, or you were wrong, a guy slipped. Mushnick points out that Troy Aikman is an absolute dismal listen as an analyst, and I couldn't agree more. He says that Aikman sounds virtually the same today as he did when he started in 2002, 17 years ago. And Mushnick asks the question, so if Aikman is that dull and predictable and droning, after 17 years having not gotten any better, is he either A, the product of no coaching, B, the product of bad coaching, or C, the product of coaching in which he has ignored said coaching and has not improved his craft at all? I think the answer is no coaching. They don't give these top flight guys much coaching. I don't think so. There might be a little bit from a producer or a director. But otherwise you you pay a guy a lot of money and he's a star. You give him some tips, but you don't really say, "Hey Troy, you got to lose this crutch of saying good job by so and so. Good job like I want that out. I don't want you to say good job anymore. You say it, you said it 63 times last game. Too many. They don't get coaching because they're big stars. Mushnick points out that Rick Barry, who used to do TV for the NBA, said that he was told after every game he did, good job, good job, great job, great job, until the day he was fired. So it was great job, great job, great job for who knows how many years, 10, 12 years, and then you're fired. On to golf. This week is the most raucous tournament on the PGA Tour, the Phoenix Open. And it is awesome. The 17th hole, no, 16th hole at TPC Scottsdale is unlike any other hole on the PGA Tour. It's surrounded by grandstands and luxury boxes. And it's like an amphitheater. It's a miniature stadium surrounding the entire Par 3. It is where famously Tiger Woods made an ace as a 21-year-old kid and brought the roof down. The loudest roar in modern golf history. Not modern golf. The loudest roar in golf history, I'm pretty confident in saying. Beer cans were flying down onto the tee box. Tiger was all jacked up. He's raising the roof. It was awesome. I don't know if they've had an ace since. Maybe a couple. Certainly none by a player as you know, insanely popular as Tiger Woods. But it'd be cool if it happened again. It did happen, though, with a robot earlier this week. I saw a clip where they've got (laughs) a a golf club swinging robot that can hit a golf shop. And it's not so much robot as it is a big mechanical contraption. And it actually made a hole-in-one. Not with a lot of fans around. I guess they were testing it or filming some kind of video shoot, but still, pretty funny. I was thinking every event on tour, every regular tour event that is not a major. Keep the majors traditional, but I would love it if the PGA Tour, if they could get this going at every tour stop, would pick one par three that is a easy enough par three where you could see some really close shots, maybe a chance at a hole in one, and turn it into the party hole, if you will. Not to encourage drunken idiocy per se. But to say this is the rock and roll par 3 on this week's tour stop. Just one hole. It'd be great to promote for the game of golf to say, you know what? Golf is not all that stuffy. Just one hole. That's all it is. They had a hole at one of the Michigan tour stops back when Michigan had a tour stop. In fact, the state of Michigan used to have two if not three different tour stops on the PGA. Uh, One of the holes sort of became kind of like the one in Phoenix, where it was rowdy, it was loud, and people who would like to sit around and drink beer and just watch guys fire at a par-3 flagstick would congregate. Let's make it happen, Commissioner Fincham. No, wait, you're not the commissioner anymore. Uh, uh, Who's the commissioner of the PGA Tour? Is the guy that took over from the LPGA? I'll think about it. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'll get back to it in just a second. (laughs) Pat Patriot is listed as questionable for Sunday's Super Bowl game against the Rams. Who's Pat Patriot? That would be the mascot, Pat Patriot. Pat Patriot was tackled from behind by safety Jamal Adams at the Pro Bowl last weekend. Supposedly, the man who plays Pat Patriot suffered injuries, stiff neck, sore back, this, that, and the other, went to the hospital, And there was talk of a possible lawsuit by the guy who plays Pat Patriot. Adams has since apologized, thinking, hey, I didn't mean to hurt the guy. It sounds like a setup attempting to get some money. I don't doubt that it might hurt. Just because you're wearing what looks like a nice, big, soft, foamy mascot outfit doesn't mean that you can get tackled from behind without knowing it and not suffer any injuries. Hell, Uh, Rand Paul, when he got tackled by his psychotic neighbor while mowing the grass, broke like three ribs. Got all fucked up. Just one tackle. That's all it takes. That said, uh, Pat Patriot expected to be there on the sidelines. What's funny is there's a YouTube clip out there, and I'll make sure to highlight it on Twitter. Pat Patriot used to wear number zero. And there was a fan when greeting... Uh, Robert Kraft, early on in Robert Kraft's ownership of the Patriots, Kraft was like riding a golf cart through the parking lot, I believe, to go to the stadium, and fans were kind of going up and high-fiving and shaking his hands. Somebody caught on camera a fan saying, hey, Robert, you know, or Mr. Kraft, can we do something about the mascot's number? And he goes, yeah, what's the problem? He goes, the number is zero. What kind of loser number is that? And they turned it into a number one. And ever since they changed Pat Patriot's mascot number, they've been winning championships. Coincidence? I don't know. You tell me. Cap star Alex Ovechkin did not play in the All-Star game, did not participate in the ceremonies either, took the one-game suspension because he wanted to spend time with his family. Hard to criticize him for that. he did just help us win a Stanley Cup championship. He's having another awesome season. Eh, that said, not wild about it. Now Ovi has shown up on social media with his family riding dolphins somewhere in some warm, nice place. Ovi was seen grabbing onto the back fin, dorsal fin of a dolphin, and getting a quick ride around a pool. And as soon as I saw the video, I go, oh boy, here we go. Animal rights outrage in three, two, one, And sure enough, here it came. There are a number of dolphin exhibits where you can pet and interact with dolphins in the water. But I have heard and I know that the ones that allow you to ride the dolphins by grabbing their fin and having them pull you around are considered to be cruel and wrong. The dolphins don't seem to be too affected by it. But then again, I'm not a dolphin. They might hate it. It might strain their their little inner gizzards, their lungs, their muscles, whatever it is. They may die an average of 2.3 years earlier if they're giving people rides, human rides. I would tend to shade on the side of, yeah, you probably shouldn't ride a dolphin, like your Aquaman or something, because if we start letting people charge to ride dolphins, then there's no end to it. On the other hand, sometimes it's really not a big deal if it's done humanely. I know when we went to Africa last year and we're going again in February, myself, Ronnie Mervis, a number of you listeners, it's going to be a great time. They talked about how a number of campsites, safaris, lodges, uh, game reserves have gone away from offering elephant rides because elephant rides are considered cruel. Hard to believe an elephant would mind if a human being, even a Uh, a larded-up average American full of too many burritos and pizzas would affect an elephant. I don't think they'd be like, oh, god, you're so fat up there. But the movement has been towards, hey, you know what? We don't really need to ride elephants, so let's just end it. Okay, Ovi, we'll see what happens from here. You have been targeted by the animal rights crowd. Good luck, sir. I hope you guys are surviving the polar vortex up there in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Chicago, Illinois, that whole area. One thing I have not read or heard much of is the why and the how is this happening. I mean, I know I get the basic gist of it, that somehow the jet stream wobbled or warbled, and it burped up this incredible mass of cold air that just came shooting down from where it should belong normally, which is way up near the North Pole. But I'd like to know more about it. Do we know exactly why this happened, how this happened, how often this happens, the phenomenon behind it? If anybody has any uh, you know, news reports on this or anything, just send them my way. I want to learn more, that's all. Cold, though. Jerry Kelly, PGA Tour Senior PGA Tour player Prada Wisconsin, one of a number of Wisconsin tour pros just posted on his Twitter account, had to swing in mightiest it had to swing in minus 45 chill, rather cold, and it's a clip of him out on the snow of what looks like his deck in shorts and a short sleeve shirt, no gloves, hitting at least one golf shot. Now, I don't think it's 45 below raw. That could be wind chill, but still, damn cold. They say you can get frostbite in four to five minutes in that type of cold, 15 below or more. Uh, I've had people say, I've I've gone outside, Zabe, now there's 15 below, and basically your nose starts to hurt immediately if it's not covered and you are breathing in. You have to cover your entire your entire face and breathe through your clothing to survive. Well, it's gonna warm up a lot by the end of the week. 30 degrees by Friday is gonna feel nice and balmy. So hang in there. You'll make you'll make it to Friday. Yeah. Feedback from yesterday's podcast. Adam Turgeon said, Hey Zabe, I don't want to pile on, but I gotta say I would have pocketed that podcast you put out rather than do what you did a drunken bitch fest about being at the super bowl i thought you were giving us insight as to what goes on down there would you listen to me complaining about my workday? well yeah go ahead i'm all ears i'm a sympathetic ear probably not why complain about swag when you don't want it anyways I guess the only plus was you didn't bring up Mike Francesa and complaining about his poor content. Enjoy the rest of the trip, just my two cents, but don't know how this is you want your b- brand represented. Staying warm in Milwaukee, Jordan. Jordan. Why does it say Adam Turgeon in the email, and then Jordan. Uh, thank you, uh, Jordan. Adam Turgeon. I thought maybe it's because I was drunk and couldn't tell. Not drunk. I was. I was weary. I was a little buzzed. I thought I was joking about me bitching. I thought I sounded at least enough of a appreciative note of, hey, I'm down here, and this this party we went to for the Super Bowl was great, this media party, the NFL really put out for it. I thought it was uh, tongue-in-cheek, like I was kidding. I guess not. Anyway, today you're hearing this with me sober during the day as I'm recording some pieces, some stories, uh, awake, sober, and having given it some thought, doing the best I can out of studio to deliver some extra content for the week. Comment from the website, zabe.com. Why do you have to use the F word so much? It does nothing for your broadcast. This from Jay Scott. And I've always felt that it makes a person sound dumber. Your show is great, don't F it up with a continued use of a superfluous word like the F word, okay? I'll do my best. Do I get one coupon per show though? Just one? This from David Lindsay. Save all of Delta's training programs are in Atlanta. My uncle flies 777s for them. He says all the Airbus pilots are assholes. <laughs> really? Okay. I wonder why that is. I won't hold it against them. I'll end on this tonight. University of Maryland President Wallace Lowe has announced he's staying after all, even after he announced his resignation in the wake of the death of one of the University of Maryland football players. This is an amazing story of bureaucrat survival, where basically the board of directors told him, you know what, we're not firing our football coach because, damn it, we have aspirations in football, and so what if a kid died? We're going to press ahead with this guy. They didn't say literally, so what if a kid died, but they were not going to fire the head coach after a kid had died while doing spring conditioning drills. So Wallace Lowe says, okay, I'm going to, all right, I'll step down. He didn't really accept what the board was saying. He wanted to fire the coach, but he realized, I can't do it myself, otherwise I'd be fired. But Wallace Lowe knew that the blowback by the public and by the media over what the board of directors was going to do which is keep DJ Durkin was going to be so bad he'd probably end up getting his gig back. And guess what? He did. It was also revealed though cuz University of Maryland's a public school that you know they had to release their you know expenditures on this blue ribbon panel to investigate this death of uh, Jordan McNair and they brought in five or six different people sort of loosely affiliated with the university and or, you know, involved in football. One of the people brought in on this panel was none other than Redskins vice president of player personnel, Doug Williams, in the middle of the season last year, oh, by the way. Another person they brought in on the panel was one Bonnie Bernstein, University of Maryland alum, used to be a sideline reporter, and now she does sort of you know, consulting and campus stuff, speeches, lectures, appearances, whatever. Turns out Bonnie Bernstein was paid $118,000 for a little more than a month and a half of work. It's crazy. And I'm not trying to single her out because I think other people got paid similar. University of Maryland spent $1.5 million on this panel to recommend what should be done (laughs) And the recommendation was basically, nah, just be a little bit more conscious next time a guy collapses during conditioning drills in case he's going into, you know, deadly heat stroke. They said that Bonnie Bernstein was paid on average or paid the rate, I think they said they paid the rate of these board members or these special panel members, six hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Which, if you're a top ass lawyer at a really good law firm, yeah, maybe your rate's six fifty. But Bonnie Bernstein, $650 an hour? So in her expenses that she billed to the university for being on this panel, it included eight round trips by train from New York City, where she lives, to Washington, D.C. Each train trip cost twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. How is that possible? Unless she rode Thomas the Tank Engine himself, in a luxury sleeper car that was lined with gold sheets, twenty-five hundred for a train ride to and from New York and D.C. I'd check the Acela. It can't be more than a hundred and twenty-nine bucks round trip. So, look out, Bonnie. Uh, the internet blowback is coming for you. I'm not saying you don't deserve six fifty an hour, or twenty-five hundred bucks for a round trip train travel. I'm just saying a lot of people would love to have 118 dollars for a little over 90 days of work or less than that to actually say, well, let's keep the coach anyway, despite the fact the kid died. That will end today's Zabecast. From my hotel room, stone sober. I hope it was better than last night. I appreciate you guys hanging with me. Altered production schedules. I'm down here for Super Bowl 53. Tomorrow, Friday is football five ways Friday, our final edition, Super Bowl style with Mister X. Not only will we hash out the game and figure out which side we're going to be on, we are going to give out prop bets. And I got to tell you, Mister X is really good on prop bets. Every year he usually goes five and one, six and zero. Oh, worst case, four and two. So you'll want to subscribe to that premium edition go to zabe.com slash premium and sign up today thank you again for listening everybody have yourselves a great thursday and we will see you tomorrow for our super bowl 53 preview on the premium zabe test